Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 through 31. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Amen. Josh. And I do, I I will just reiterate again what Graham said. uh, It is a great day today. Perfect day for a picnic. You should come out. You can meet Becca. You can uh, meet others that you don't know. Over half of us still are new to this church and city in the past two years, which means there's lots of space for us to be growing in our relationships. But let's begin with our sermon today. I want to ask you a question. I want us to go into 
the spaces in our lives where we have felt the most disillusionment? Where have we been most disappointed in our lives? Where have we feel like we've been promised something that then wasn't actually delivered? I'm asking that question because that's exactly what's happening in this text with the Israelites. That we've been going through the book of Exodus because we've been looking at the value of freedom that our culture loves. Our culture is propelled, it's animated in our movies, in our stories, in our conversations on freedom. In fact, our identities are often couched in this kind of concept that we need to become free. And what is our journey? What is our freedom narrative? And because our culture has that view, because our identity has moved this way, that's why we're looking at the book of Exodus to look at the original freedom story. And we're comparing and contrasting and seeing how that intersects with our own. At this point, the Israelites, they've been enslaved in the earlier chapters. They've won their freedom. They're out. They're, they're, they're getting to live their free lives. And yet, their freedom is turning out not to be as great as they thought it would be. And I believe this is the question we have to ask ourselves. What happens, what happens to us when freedom doesn't fulfill? What happens when freedom doesn't turn out to be all that we want it to be? And I believe this is a question that Christians and non-Christians, this applies to everybody. Everybody has this universal problem. Look at the polls. Most Americans, if you ask them, how do you feel about your outlook? How do you feel about the outlook of the world? And everybody is reporting, the majority of people report that they're pessimistic about that future. They're pessimistic about uh, their lives and the lives of the world. And so there's disillusionment. There is disenchantment. And the question I want to ask is, what do we do? And I think this text helps us. We can break it down in three parts. I had some little fun with some alliteration. So we're going to look at despair, freedom, forlorn. We're going to look at fake freedom formed and then true freedom found. If it sounds like too much, it's okay. It was more for me than for you. It's despair, freedom forlorn. We're going to look at fake freedom formed and then true freedom found. So first, despair, freedom forlorn. Uh, the 80s cult movie, The Princess Bride, the, the hero at one point gets taken to be tortured at, in what? In something called The Pit of Despair. It is a great, that's a great title. I mean, you just already know it's not going to be good in the pit of despair, because despair is that space of hopelessness. Despair means uh, there, there is, there, you see no way out. And for, forlorn is another way to, to talk about the sadness that comes out of that. And the Israelites are feeling that despair. We, we didn't have space to print it, but just a couple verses above this, verse 7, what we read is that the Egyptians, after releasing the Israelites out into the world, in their freedom, they're now pursuing them with 600 chariots, which is the largest known army at the time, is coming after them. And so behind them, they're looking back, and they're seeing this huge army, and they're looking in front of them, and they're seeing this huge body of water that's trapping them from their escape. And because they feel trapped between these two spaces, they're in despair. That's why they say, look at verse 11, our first verse. It says that in despair, they say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? Now, that's, you kind of already can tell that's hyperbole, but I had this thought this week. Um, what is Egypt known for? Every tourist in the world will tell you that Egypt is known for its graves. 
that the pyramids are about tombs. The tombs were the Egyptians' jam. And I wonder if they knew that. And they're like, listen, there were plenty back there. Why are you bringing us out here to die? There's disillusionment there. And there's hurt there. There's extreme sarcasm. And I think the same happens to us. Why? Because the Israelites, they go off in their freedom... And then when it becomes not what they thought it would be, they get disillusionment. We get the same thing. We're told, live our lives, go be what you want to be, uh, live, you know, your truth, come up with your own identity, go, you know, make your own choices. And yet in our freedom, when it doesn't turn out to be what we want it to be, doesn't, it's not as, as it's all it's cracked up to be, we get disillusionment because we feel stuck. And so that's what I want us to ask this morning. What happens when what we think will make us free doesn't? What happens when what we thought would be enough isn't enough? Right? What happens when uh, our whole life, here's the narrative, by the way, this is the narrative the world tells you. Go to college, get a good job, work really hard, make a bunch of money, and then you'll get freedom. And yet, a lot of us are on that sort of rat race. A lot of us are doing that, and yet it doesn't feel that free, does it? And yet, there, there's still, uh, it doesn't stop the stress. It doesn't stop the pains of life. It doesn't stop the hurt and the heartache and the sadness and the suffering. Because the world, does, this is what the world does. The world tells you this. You'll be most free if you get to express yourself. You'll be most free if you get to do what you want, wherever you want, with whomever you want, with your body. That's, that's really the, the best freedom narrative that our culture has right now. And yet, we do that, and what happens? What, what is it for you? May, what is it that if, if you get this, then you've arrived? If you get the PhD, then you've arrived academically. If you get to come to New York City, you've arrived corporately in your career. If you get to, you know, a, where's your arrival? Relationally, socially, economically. Where's the freedom not what you thought it would be i want to know because i think since i actually believe in i love the idea of freedom i want us to be free but i don't think we can really be free until we acknowledge that it's not bringing us what we thought it would and that's why i think we can live in what is known culturally right now historically we live in the freest culture ever and yet stress is up anxiety is up sadness is up depression is up all these metrics disillusionment why? Because there is despair of freedom. There's for, we're, we're forlorn. That's the plight of the, of the uh, Israelites, and that's our plight too. Now, all right, fine, number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Well, how do we fix the despair? Right? I'm we should be practical New Yorkers, right? How do we fix it? Point two, fake freedom forms. Um, my dad died a couple of weeks ago, and there's been some beautiful tributes online. It's been, you know, I often catch myself, I'm scrolling, I see tribute after tribute, some beautiful things. But we live in the internet age, which means 
Just look far, hard enough and you'll see the criticism. You'll see the people that are not so happy. And what I've noticed is there's a new pattern that's forming both online and in person. Here's how the criticism goes. I feel hurt, therefore you hurt me. That's really, it's really the argument. I feel hurt by Tim Keller's theology. I feel hurt by his actions. I feel hurt by his words and therefore I am. The problem with that is just because you feel that doesn't mean it's actually true. I, I believe abuse is real, but just because somebody says something's abusive doesn't make it abusive. Just because somebody says you wronged me doesn't mean you were wronged by them. But that's what the Israelites are doing in our text about Moses. Look, what, look at the very first verse, right? In verse 11 it says, wasn't it you, <laughs> wasn't it you that did this to us? Look at the, the second half of, of verse 11. What have you done to us? You can, almost he you can hear the blame. That's exactly what they're doing to Moses. Is they're shifting the blame and saying, hey, our despair, we know where the despair is coming from. You. You're doing it. And what I would like us to ask, and what I want us to consider is, is it possible that, that the thing that you've identified for where your despair is coming from is wrong? Because just because you say it doesn't mean it's actually true. And I think that's what's happening for these Israelites. That you can't, we can't fix despair if, if we're not seeing things correctly. And I think the text starts showing us that they have a distorted reality. Look at, I'll, I'll prove it. Look at the next verse, verse 12. They said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. No, they did not say that. That's a complete falsehood. They actually said the opposite. They said, get us out of here. In fact, there, you can go through the list of the things that they, that they, were, they were twisting. Out, if you read the, these first couple of verses, they essentially say, it's too hard out here. It'd be better for us to serve the Egyptians, number one. Number two, it's too dangerous out here. We need to go back to someplace safe with the Egyptians. Number three, it wasn't that bad back there. You know, maybe it was okay. We should go back. Every single one of those claims is false. Every single one is a distorted reality. And this is what I think people are starting to use this phrase. This is called revisionist history. This is where what we do is we deliberately misremember the past to make an explanation for what's going on in our hearts in the present. We purposely do that, and they're laying the blame on Moses, not realizing that their despair is because they've developed a fake freedom. They, they formed a fake freedom. You say, well, where is that? Well, Moses identifies it. Look at verse 13. He says, do not be afraid. Why? Because he knows that's actually what's the real problem. It's that their fear, and their fear has blinded them from what the real problem is, and their fear has blinded them from the idea that they, they are afraid. Because they're so blind by fear. Here's what, here's what they're so blind... They see the sea in front of them, and they see the Egyptians behind them, and they think those are the only two options. The sea in front of them, death. If we, if we keep walking, we're dead in this, if we keep going into the sea. They look behind them and say, we go back there, we're dead. They're blind to the fact that they thought there was, those were the only two options out there. They couldn't see that maybe, just maybe, there was a third option that maybe God would save them. Maybe that there was another possibility. And so what, what this is showing us is even though these people have been saved before, it looks like they're going to have to be saved again. And this is, a, this is a hard truth to hear, is that 
what, what this is showing us is that you can take the person out of slavery. It's really hard to take the slavery out of the person. That they were still bound. That they were still enslaved. That you can liberate somebody, but they still need to be liberated. That you can believe Jesus in your head, by the way, and yet you still haven't believed him in your heart. That these people, they would would say they believed that they were saved. If you sat with them at this point in their history and said, hey, do you believe God saved? You know what they would say? They would say, yeah. And they would point to the past. And yet, that didn't translate into them knowing that he would save them here. Why? Because they were enslaved to their fear. And by the way, I don't think they felt enslaved, but that didn't mean that they weren't. That you might not feel today we're enslaved. We might, you might not feel that. In fact, the great irony of our culture is by using the, the, all this freedom and liberty terminology, you don't think you're enslaved, but we are, maybe. Maybe you trusted God to save you back then, but you're not trusting God to save you in your present. Maybe you believe in God's goodness back then, but you're not really believing that he can be good to you in your present issues, in your present suffering, your present self. And this means, I think, what this is showing us is since God had already freed them, and yet they need to be freed again, this is showing us that to really be free, it's not a one-and-done thing. Real freedom is a process. Real freedom is a fight. And it's going to take them 40 years to figure it out, to get real freedom. It's going to take them 40 years to do that. Maybe the reason why we have self-doubt still, maybe why we, the reason why we still have this, the guilt and the regret and, and, and we can't shake it, maybe it's because we're not free. And so what's going to fix the despair? If you look at the text, I think the text says we need to start by acknowledging that the despair that you are, are, are thinking you know where it's coming from, maybe it's misplaced. Maybe you've misappropriated it. Start by seeing that what you thought would bring you freedom, what the world says will bring you freedom, isn't going to actually, it won't actually bring you freedom. In a way it will, you'll feel it in some ways, but in other ways it won't be enough. It won't be satisfying. Stop thinking that there's only two options out there, either the sea or the Egyptians. It's either death or death. Stop thinking that God can't save you in that situation, in that circumstance, in this space, in my, this reality. You gotta stop. We, have to, we have to see that. And so before we move on, we need to ask, where might you not be seeing where God could be saving you? Where is it? Where are you not allowing him? Where are you, where are you limiting? Because you only can see two options. Where are you limiting the, the possibilities that are out there? See, I, I think if we did that, if we saw that, then we would realize that maybe God could actually, what he could actually do in our sufferings, in our hurts, in our despair. Forty years was, by the way, a long time of trials. But it was through the trials that God was able to bring freedom. Is it possible that your life, your journey, I don't know what, is it 40 or 50 or 60 years or how much more, but is it possible that freedom, we thought freedom is the absence of, those, of the sufferings and hurts. Maybe, just maybe, the freedom is through it. That's what this is saying. Now, last point. True freedom found. So we know there's despair. Everybody feels it. Christian, non-Christian, New Yorkers, Americans, the world. And yet, Moses identifies the problem for them. It's fear. And so that's why he says in verse 13, do not be afraid. So all I have to do, this is, by the way, we could kind of, a lot of people finish right here. Okay, don't be afraid. Let's go, let's go. 
Um, my dad loved, there was this skit that he loved. He would always put it on YouTube. It was an old Bob Newhart skit where uh, he pretended he was a psychologist. And he said he, could, he, he, he would be able to fix anybody's problems for $5. And so he'd ask for people to come in, 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 um, with their problems. And he said, give me $5 up front and I will fix your problem. It's too good to be true. So people would come and say, I have anger issues. I have, I have a, a fear of uh, tight spaces, uh, claustrophobia. I have all these fears. He goes, okay, ready? Here's, this, here's the answer. Ready? Two words. Stop it. <laughs> Solved your problem. Stop it. And people say, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I have a fear of, of tight spaces. Oh, I know. That's terrible. Stop it. Done. And, you know, it's funny because that is the answer. The answer to do not fear is don't be afraid. But have you ever tried telling yourself or others when they're, when they're really afraid, stricken with fear, stop being afraid? <laughs> that doesn't work. That's the problem. And yet Moses has a solution. And I, I think we should, we should see it because uh, I think we should start first to see what, what does Moses not do. You know what no, Moses does not, doesn't do? He doesn't go to their assumptions, by the way. They had a whole kind of bunch of statements accusing Moses. And he doesn't actually go to them and try to argue against them. That, you know, they said Moses was the problem, but they said enslavement was better. They said, let's go back to Egypt. And you know what? He doesn't actually talk to them about that. Why? Because I don't, it's actually really hard to argue against somebody else's assertions. And so instead, he makes his own new two-pronged argument that I think we should look through. His two-pronged argument is in verse 13. Look at it. It says, stand firm. Now, you fear, stand firm and see the deliverances from the Lord, and be still, the Lord will fight. Let's look at both of those. First, let's start with the second one. Be still. Be still and know, that's intellectual, know that the Lord will fight for you. That means at some level, if you want to fix fear, what Moses is saying is you're moving too much. Right? To stand still, to be still, which I have a hard time even doing up here, to stand actually still is hard because you're focusing too much. Have you ever seen somebody when they're really, really afraid, their eyes start bugging out, they're like moving all over the place, left and right, their whole body? They're probably looking forward at the sea, they're looking back, they're looking forward, they're moving back. Their, their body position is anxious. And Moses is saying to fix that, there has to be a stillness. Yes, your whole body is it's going to take every fiber of your being not to try to flee and move against the greatest army that the world's ever seen to this point. Yes, every bone in your body wants to run from your fears and your hurts and your heartaches. Why do you think our culture has a billion or a trillion? I don't even know how much money that we spend on entertainment. But we put a lot of time into just ignoring whatever is going on in our lives. We put the headphones in. We put the Netflix on. We, we, the, the world of ads is a world of, of pleasure and escape. Because all we want to do is not sit in the reality of ourselves. And yet God is saying to us, be still. Yeah, you miss your dad. Yeah, you, you want him back. Yeah, you, you have this deep sadness, this pit in your stomach. Be still. And by the way, this is not do not care. Right? It's not saying that. It means to be still is letting God be God. To be still means realizing he's God and I'm not. Worry means... At some level, we think God got it wrong. Doubt means at some level we think he did get it wrong. And yet being still means what? It means I'm 45 and still single. It means I'm still in this small apartment. 
It means I still lost my job. It means I, 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 money is tight. Family's not going great. For me personally, again, the past two weeks, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that sadness of, of, of an absence of my father. And yet I can be still, why? Because the Lord is going to fight for you. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means at least this. If the Lord's fighting for you, it means he's not waiting around for you to figure it out. This is what's beautiful. If the Lord's going to fight for you, it means he's not waiting around for you to come to your senses and come back to him. If the Lord's going to fight for you, it means he's going to go off and do that before you even realize you're not free. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, they're still afraid, and now the Lord says, all right, here's what we're going to do. He's off and running. Before the Israelites get fixed, see, when they say do not fear, God doesn't wait around for you not to fear. He actually, the way that you are not going to fear is by watching his work, his fight. I think that's why Paul can say in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because the Bible is doing this over and over and over again. The Bible is showing us that God doesn't wait for your perfect attitude, for your heart to be in the right place, for you to actually realize what you really need. Instead, he's off and running. And what I think is happening here, and what we're seeing is, is that the only, is that this stillness is birthed with inside of us. What if, here's here's a question for you. What if the absence of what you thought you really need is actually the only way for God to give you the presence of what you really do need? Have you thought about that? What, what if God is taking some things away from you right now so that you could actually focus on and see the real things that you really need to see him? I think that's what's actually what we're seeing here is that they were delivered once at this point. You know, they needed to see a deliverance again and again and again to be still. God might have delivered you in the past. I bet you he's delivered you and you haven't even seen all the deliverances. Maybe you've forgotten them. But you have to see it again and again and again to get this stillness. And he's delivered you from your bad decisions. He's delivered you from your good decisions. But he's delivered you to be still. Now, last point. Stand firm. And I think if you look at the text again, you have to, there's a modifier. Stand firm. Why? To see that deliverance. And the deliverance comes, by the way, and look, if you go down further in verse 19, it says the angel of the Lord, which was in the front, goes to the back. Why? Because the deliverance, I mean, the angel of the Lord goes and, and puts himself in between the Egyptians and the Israelites, the onslaught that's coming. And what we've learned in the book of Exodus, starting in Exodus 3, is the angel of the Lord is, is the being who talks on behalf of God and as God at the same time. And the only other person in the Bible who we know comes from God but actually is God at the same time as Jesus. And so this is a pre, most people think this is a pre-incarnate Jesus who is taken on the onslaught of the enemy on behalf of people who haven't come to him, who don't know their need for him. And he does it anyway. And the reason why he can do it here is because centuries later, he does it cosmically and ultimately. It's why in Romans 8, Paul can say, For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. There is now uh, no fear. Because you can live without fear, because you can stand firm, because you can know that Jesus delivers us in every situation 
through every situation, even in the situations that you and I think that there's no way out. When we think there is never going to be happiness anymore. When we think that we can't think of how our future will be whole again. Jesus over and over and over again breaks our paradigm. He's, he, he breaks the binary of the choices that we think are the only ones that are available to us. I miss my father. You miss the people in your life. You miss the things in your life that you feel like you need to have to not feel incomplete. And over and over, Jesus brings salvation and deliverance in ways that you can't fathom. For instance, for me, I've, it's been two weeks and I've been grieving that my dad hasn't been around. Lots of condolences, lots of great uh, wisdom about grief. Somebody, I don't know who said it, but somebody said that grief is actually good. Because if you didn't grieve, it means that the person wasn't worth grieving. But when you feel grief, it's because you're, you're remembering something that from that person that you no longer have that was good. And I was like, that's actually really helpful. That means, I, that, that means grief is not something to try to get away from. It means every time you feel that grief, it's bringing back a memory that was good. So grief is actually a heart properly assessing loss. And I've been grieving the loss of my father. And yet I didn't think it was possible for God to meet me in those spaces. And yet he's been whispering. You know, he's, he's been whispering, as good as your dad is, I'm better. He's whispering, you miss your father, but guess what? You have the true father. To stand firm and see deliverance means, yeah, I miss, you miss a good dad. He was good, but I have a better one. I thought my only options were alive with, with my father, then I'd be fulfilled, or dad dead and Michael's not fulfilled. I saw only two options. I couldn't consider that maybe God wanted to show me more of, my, of himself because there's less of my father around. I never considered that maybe God was offering me more of himself through less of my dad. My mom said this to me just this week. She said, you know what? I, I'm learning that God has more in store for me. There's more I need from him and that I could only get with your father not here. That I was missing because he was here. That I was relying on him and not on, on I was relying on your father and not on, your, on the true father. And with his absence now, there's new sweetness and there's new joy. And there's things that we, we're, we were missing. Who knew that our sadness could be the fodder of more joy? I think we've been stuck because we were so afraid of what life would be like deprived of him, not realizing of the joy and the beauty possible without him. That I had been over-reliant on. That I had not wanted to see. It's come out in the love of others and thank you so much for that love, folks. It's come out in the whispers of God that I am more sufficient to you than you thought. That I'm more beautiful than you could even dream of and you couldn't see. And I have more in store for you. And we couldn't see it until he was gone. And so here's the irony. If dad knew that we would have more love with him leaving sooner, he would have left sooner. That's the kind of dad he was. And that doesn't mean that we don't miss him. That doesn't mean there's not pain. That doesn't mean there's not suffering that's still in your life, the things that you miss. 
I know I'm not the only one. That there's still these heartaches and hurts. But it, it does mean that so much more is possible if we would actually live unafraid lives. I didn't know this until this week. Did you know, you, do you know that what the most repeated command is in the Bible? Do not fear. Why? Because that's, 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 that's our natural disposition. When we're afraid, it means at some level there's some part of us not trusting in God's goodness. And every people group and every person is doing that at some level. It's actually the original sin, right? God says to Adam and Eve, let's do life together. And they're like, I don't think you're really going to give me what we think we need. And so they took the fruit, and every th- since then, we're, we're all doing the same thing. And I think, that's, and we're limiting God, what he can do in our lives. We're limiting God, what he could do in our life. And so this is, this is the, the insight from this text. Real freedom is not no more challenges, no more grief, no more sadness. Real freedom is through the challenges and through the grief and through the hardships, God's goodness is made more manifest. His beauty is more, made more radiant. His love is made more beautiful. That's where real freedom comes. And I think when you don't see that, you're limiting what God can do. I'm still not sure why God decided to take dad at this moment, but I know it's not because he's not good. I know that we don't know why God lets the hurts and the heartaches and stuff, but if we give it time, you'll get glimmers, you'll get pieces where you can trace that rainbow through the rain. You'll be able to do it. Don't say, we're better enslaved with the Egyptians. That's what the Israelites did. And when you do that, you're saying God got it wrong. Don't say, it's better to live out what the world says. The world says, consume people sexually. Consume things materially. Use the city. Use people. Use things for yourself. And when you're doing that, you know what you're doing at some level? You're saying God got it wrong. Don't do that. You don't have to, because you can stand and see his deliverance. You can be still and know that he fights for you. I think they never considered that God would and could save, not through the absence of suffering, but through it, because it's always through it. The Israelites never considered that they were going to get more of God's presence the more they needed God's presence. Will you let that be the truth for you too? Will you let God save you in this way? Will you stand firm and will you see? Will you let this lesson happen over and over because we're going to need it over and over. You're going to need to see the deliverance over and over and over again. But he's not going to wait for you to figure it out. He's that patient. He's that loving. And he's going to deliver you from the pity party of your heart. He's going to deliver you from the excuse making of despair. He's going to even deliver you from the revisionist history narratives that we are doing all the time to protect ourselves from ourselves. And he's saying to you and me, I delivered you before you even realized it. To the end of time. Come all ye who are weary, for I will give you rest. And friends, that's where real true freedom is. It's not in the absence, it's in the presence of him. Place him at the center of your life, at the core of your life, and what you will find is there's more in store than what you thought was possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly true Father, true freedom found in you, if we'd only come and see it. We can't see it because we're so afraid, 
that if we don't have what we, what we thought we needed, we won't get what we need. And yet, time and time again, you're sitting with us in that space. You're sitting with us in the grief. And there's so much joy that's present and possible. Because the, our good fathers reflect the true father. And our bad fathers don't have the last say in us. Because the good moms and good friends and good jobs are all tastes of, of the ultimate relationship that you want to have. And the bad stuff, the brokenness that's in us and in, and in others doesn't have the last say. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that we'll remember this now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.